When a doctor or nurse or anybody who works in healthcare walks into their practice, they walk into the middle of a small whirlwind. And the thing about the whirlwind is from the inside of the whirlwind, all you can see is the inside walls of the whirlwind. And most of what you see sucks. So the question is, how do you step out of your whirlwind, set the whirlwind off to the side? It will be there when you come back. So how do you step out of that in the points where you need to? What points do you need to? Number one, when you're going to go into a room or into an encounter with a patient or a patient's family. Number two, when you're interacting with your team. Welcome to Difficult Conversations, lessons I learned as an ICU physician with Dr. Anthony Orsini. Dr. Orsini is a practicing physician and president and CEO of the Orsini Way. As a frequent keynote speaker and author, Dr. Orsini has been training healthcare professionals and business leaders how to navigate through the most difficult dialogues. Each week, you will hear inspiring interviews with experts in their field who tell their story and provide practical advice on how to effectively communicate. Whether you are a doctor faced with giving a patient bad news, a business leader who wants to get the most out of his or her team members, or someone who just wants to learn to communicate better, this is the podcast for you. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Difficult Conversations, Lessons I've Learned as an ICU Physician. Today, we are very, very fortunate to have a very awesome guest today, Dr. Dyke Drummond. Dr. Drummond is a Mayo-trained family doctor, a professional coach, author, speaker, and trainer whose sole professional focus since 2011 has been addressing the modern epidemic in physicians, and that is professional burnout. He is a graduate of the Mayo Clinic Medical School in Rochester, New York. He then went on to complete a residency in family medicine in Redding, California and practiced full-spectrum family medicine in Washington State for over 11 years. Dr. Drummond is currently the CEO and founder of TheHappyMD.com, where he receives over 25,000 website visits per month and hosts an online community of over 18,000 physicians from 63 countries around the world. He is the go-to man and leading expert, as they say, on physician burnout. Dr. Drummond has logged over 3,000 hours of one-on-one physician coaching and has trained over 40,000 doctors on behalf of 175 corporate clients in 2014. His book, Stop Physician Burnout, which I just finished reading, and I've also actually quoted during some of my teachings and my presentations, his book, Stop Physician Burnout, What to Do When Working Harder Isn't Working, has sold over 40,000 copies worldwide. Well, Thank you, Dyke, for agreeing to be a guest on my podcast. As you know, I launched this podcast just a few months ago, and I'm really happy to say that in 48 hours, the podcast went to Apple Top 200, and we actually went as high as number seven in medicine in the first week. So I'm very happy with that. I'm really honored with the number of people who subscribed and the reviews that we've gotten, so I'm really excited. I know that you're just about, or you just have launched your podcast, and I believe that's called Physicians on Purpose. Yes, it is. Physicians on Purpose. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that first, while we're on the topic of podcasts. Uh, What's the mission of that podcast, and where do you see that going? Well, one of the things that I know about physicians who are burned out, having experienced it myself and worked with hundreds of doctors, is that it's an experience of waking up. Right. You're trying to comply with somebody else's job description, and it's painful when you try to color inside their lines and do what they expect of you because 
you didn't play any role in developing the job description. It's not your ideal job description. And so what you do is you wake up through burnout. It gets so painful, you can't keep going down that same path. And you wake up to take control of your practice. Instead of being a physician on somebody else's path, you become your own physician on purpose. It's an act of waking up. And so what we're going to do on the Physician on Purpose podcast is talk about burnout stories, how you made the turn, what difference it made in your life, because it's almost always a very positive transition as long as you survive it. It is a crisis point. You have to turn towards the light. But as long as you survive it, it's usually a positive thing in your life. So burnout stories, burnout prevention tips, and wellness leadership strategies as well. That's what we're going to talk about. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And as soon as you have all the information about that, please let me know. I will share it through all of our social medias and we'll help you push that. And I'm certainly going to subscribe. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, every episode I review my promise with the audience and my promise is twofold. One is that they'll be inspired by the end of this episode. And two, that they're going to leave with some good communication techniques and some good sound based evidence on what to do the next time they're involved in a difficult conversations. And I have no doubt that I'm going to fulfill my promise today. I guess you and I spoke about a month ago and you told me your story and we all have a story, right? I have a story of how I started getting into communication and medicine, how I started teaching Breaking Bad News. People ask me all the time, how did I get here from a young altruistic physician who just wanted to cure cancer and, and then something happens along the way? that changes you and the universe kind of pushes you into a different way. Now, I'm still practicing medicine. I know you're not. But do me a favor and just share your story about what happened to you. You were practicing and then something happened and you decided I'm going to make the switch, I think, in 2011, correct? Actually, I was practicing medicine until the year 2000. And that's my first episode of burnout. And by the way, I would argue with you that I still practice medicine. I just don't see patients for insurance money. Excellent. All my patients are doctors. So just chew on that for a second. I like that. So when I grew up, my doctor was named Dr. Schmidt. And he was a classic old guy with a button-up vest. And he looked like a Captain Kangaroo, he had the silver beard. And you know the Norman Rockwell picture of the kid looking at the doctor's qualifications while his pants are down, he's going to get the injection. I think you might remember that one. I have that one in my office. I think most physicians do. (laughs) Right. His office looked like that. And when I went to medical school, when I thought about what it would be like to be a doctor, there was only one choice. I was going to be a GP, small town GP. So ultimately, I ended up practicing for 10 years. I counted it up once, about 35,000 patient visits, 500 babies delivered, all that kind of stuff been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And then one of the things that hit me was my mom and my grandma really wanted me to be a doctor. And they were both dead at that point in time when I was 40. And I had gotten to that point in a primary care practice where part of what I enjoy is new stuff, right? So the thrill of not knowing what was behind the next door and seeing new things every week was part of what I really enjoyed about being a doctor. And that's true about a lot of primary care people. And that starts to peak and fade when you're about 10 years into practice. So what ended up happening to me was over the course of a couple of weeks, when I would come into work, it felt like somebody was putting me in a chokehold. There's a physical sensation I didn't understand. In the UFC, they call it a rear naked choke. And it had been going on for a couple of weeks. And I said, wow, this is really strange. And I took a sabbatical. I took a month off, shaved my head, did a bunch of yoga, prayed that I would come back and I would be better. But the feeling returned the minute I came back into seeing patients. 
And I didn't have a lot of coping skills at the time. It was very disorienting. So I basically walked into the CEO's office, signed my resignation, and walked away from my medical career, which I don't recommend as a transition strategy because it just burns too many bridges. And so if anybody's listening to this, if you're listening to this and you're saying, yeah, yeah, I want to chuck it too, don't, don't. We keep listening here and we'll give you some tactics, some conversations to have so that you don't have to burn all those bridges because you worked hard to get here. So I put food on the table as a walk-in clinic doc for a couple of years. Then my now ex-wife's business took off. We were trainers of teaching business and leadership facilitation skills. So meeting facilitation skills as a training business. We grew that to be a pretty successful endeavor. And then in 2010, that marriage and that business went away. I was burnt to the ground the second time. And I had been a coach for a decade. I got certified as a coach back in 2000. And I decided I would try to see if there was a way for me to make a living as a coach to burned out doctors like I had been. And I launched a little website called thehappymd.com. And fortunately or otherwise, it's not fortunate for the profession, but it was fortunate for me that the interest in burnout and the prevalence of burnout have peaked over the last decade or so. And so I've been basically riding a wave of learning from my clients all the different ways burnout can get you, learning all the different things that work and taking that body of knowledge and turning it into trainings and consulting and taking it out into the real world. It is extremely common, both in physicians. Well, first of all, do you also counsel nurses? Because we know that nursing burnout is also very high. How prevalent is physician burnout and nursing burnout for those non-medical people that are out there? Well, I will say that if you use the Maslach Burnout Inventory, which is the gold standard for burnout prevention, if you use their standard cutoffs, for the last six or eight years in physicians, 40 to 50% of doctors are burned out on any given office day. Suffering from at least one symptom of burnout is the way it's usually stated. The most common symptom is basically exhaustion. And that's, that's a prevalence. That is right now today, snapshot, 40 to 50% of your doctors are burned out right now. I don't know the nursing literature by heart, right? I've trained lots of nurses in mixed audiences with doctors inside healthcare organizations. because I try to train all the employees when I can. Because the lessons we learn with doctors apply to anyone who draws a healthcare paycheck. So anybody who's in a situation where your organization sees patients and the mantra, the patient comes first is in play, you've got the same risk as a doctor, just not the same level of responsibilities. So the prevalence of burnout will be lower the farther down the responsibility chain that you go. And I know that physicians have a very high suicide rate, which is, I'm sure, related to other things as well. But I'm sure physician burnout plays a major role in that also. Yep, double the risk. So I always explain it like this. Everybody who is now a doctor at one point in time was at a fork in the road. I call it the light workers fork in the road where you were trying to decide whether to go to medical school or do anything else. And this is where all your stoner friends said, heck with that. And they went and did anything else while you went on the path to medical school. And you had no idea what you were getting into. But what you did when you took that path and chose to be a doctor was you doubled your suicide rate, man or woman, the rate is double. And I just want to say really clearly, just ask Pam Weibel this question. We believe that physician suicides are dramatically underreported. Hmm. So it's much higher than we even think. People say 400 doctors a year. I'm sure it's more than that. 
Yeah, and, and we have, I work for a very large hospital system and we hear every now and then about another physician who, who took his or her life. And, you know, we don't know what was going on in the background, but it's certainly something that we need to help with. So I'm going to guess, and you're going to tell me more about this, that for every doctor that is starting to realize that he's got signs of burnout or she has signs of burnout, there's a bunch of doctors who wonder if they do, right? And I guess they can call you or they can take some tests and find out that, gee, I'm really feeling burned out. And the name of this podcast is Difficult Conversations. So I always say at every critical moment in our lives, there is a difficult conversation. The first conversation that one has to have then is I'm burnt out or I feel burned out. Do I ignore this and push through because I have a family to feed and I have responsibilities and it's embarrassing to say, because as physicians, right, we're supposed to be, we know everything, right? That's the way we're trained. Like we're the leader, we're in there. And I would think that physicians have a hard time asking for help. How does the first conversation happen or what do you, for someone out there who's listening, how do you have that first conversation with yourself to say, am I burned out? And how can I go to the next step to get help? Yeah, great question to realize that it's a conversation with yourself. It's actually a conversation between your heart, your soul, your actual self, and the conditioned automaton that the medical education system spits out the far side. So let's just talk about this a little bit. And it's something that is not taught in medical school or residency. And the 40,000 doctors that I've trained, this is one of the lessons we have to share every single time. And that's the conditioning of your medical education. So at that lightworker's fork in the road where you decided to go to medical school, just so you know, you did that because you were different than your stoner friends, right? You mm -hmm. are a helper. <laughs> you are a healer. I call it a light worker. In that choice, you chose to be a helper, a healer. Specifically, you chose to ally your professional career from this point forward to the forces of light in the universe. As we battle the forces of darkness, illness, suffering, death, dying, and family members' crazed attempts to deal with it. And you chose as an NICU doctor to put yourself in a crucible where that kind of stuff happens all the time. Nobody's baby's in the NICU for a good reason. Right. You're going to have those conversations. It, it's a disaster in the family anytime you meet these people. So your light worker impulse and, and the forces of darkness are right in your face all the time at work. But what happens is you don't start a practice when you decide to be a doctor. You go to four years of medical school. You go to a minimum of three years of residency. I've seen people who spent 16 years in the medical education system. The reason you went is because you wanted to be a light worker, but you also had certain characteristics because remember, you weren't one of the stoners. You were getting straight A's, right? So we have these personality traits, workaholic, perfectionist, lone ranger, right? Mm-hmm. All of these things are well-developed in us. They're supposed to be tools that you take out and use for a particular purpose and then put away. But the instant you enter medical school, for anywhere from 7 to 16 years, you're going to be using these tools every single day. So workaholic, lone ranger, emotion-free perfectionist is a piece of who we are. And we come out dramatically conditioned. And in addition to those character traits, there's two prime directives. Everybody knows the first one. Patient comes first. Second mm -hmm. one is never show weakness. Yes. That's the one that's underground, right? And remember too, medical school and residency 
have really nothing to do with medical practice. They're a survival contest. And you're going to be put to the test. I say medical school and residency is the energetic equivalent of waterboarding. (laughs) So you're going to be held underwater to see if you can take it. Any falter, any hesitation, you're out. Okay. It was much more severe in the years when we had no work hour restrictions, but even with work hour restrictions, it's still like waterboarding. And so when you pop out the other side, you're programmed to work. You're programmed to keep pushing. You're programmed to see things like fatigue, hunger, having to use the bathroom as things you have to hide from other people because someone might consider it a sign of weakness. And then there's always a generous dollop of bullying and all sorts of other things that happen in medical school too. So oftentimes, as you come out of your education process and you get your first job, you've completely forgotten you have free will. Because until now, you've just been doing what everybody wanted you to do. All you have to do is make it to the end of these tracks. Because honestly, what do they call the person who graduates last in their medical school class? Doctor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So all I've got to do is make it to the other end. And then when I go to get my first job, I've completely forgotten I have free will. Doctors are terrible at job search, right? All I'm looking for is somebody else to tell me what to do. And in your first job, they're more than happy to do that. They call it the way we do things around here. Okay? And you yes. say, awesome. All I got to do is the way we do things. And this is going to be great. And you start doing it just like a resident, working real hard, doing what everybody expects a few coloring inside the lines until it gets so uncomfortable you can't take it anymore. Okay. Because what are the odds that this job description is actually your ideal job description? It starts with a Z. It's zero, right? (laughs) You had no role in designing this job description. So what I like to do when people are waking up and in the agony of burnout, they cannot continue to go any longer. They're physically incapable of going back into the office. They're dying on the inside in a battle with their programming. What I like to do is actually work to open back up what you were thinking at the fork in the road way back in the day. What were you thinking this choice to be a doctor would provide for you and your family in terms of your profession and in terms of enabling an extraordinary life? It's an extraordinary choice. How can it enable an extraordinary life? And how's it going so far? And then all I have to do is start talking a little bit about Einstein's insanity trap. Because <laughs> even a doctor understands that. That brings up so many questions. Just what you said was just so great. But I remember it was just yesterday. I was sitting on a deck with my adult children. And one of my adult children's best friend is finishing medical school and he's starting residency. He was talking about relationships with his girlfriend and how he's studying all the time. And the girlfriend kind of understands, but doesn't understand. And <laughs> and I said to him as advice, I just said, listen, when you are under that kind of pressure in medical school, most people don't understand that you and I would wake up at eight o'clock on a Saturday, study, at least I did anyway, maybe you were brighter than I was, but I'd wake up at eight o'clock in medical school, study until 12, eat lunch, study till six, eat dinner, study till 11 and go to bed. And that was my life. And I said to my son's friend's girlfriend and said, this is his life. 
And, you know, if you try to stop that, he's going to end up resenting you because we're so driven, right? And then when I went to did my residency, there's a lot of stories that you and I could talk about forever about what they made us do. Right. It was actually the first year that they had the laws that you weren't allowed to work more than 80 hours a week. Ah, okay. And so you're, so you're a little younger than me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was in New York. I'm 56. And in New York, they would say to us, listen, the law says you're supposed to clock out at midnight because we can't have you more than 80 hours a week. But after you clock out, you still have seven history and physicals to do all night, but we're not going to tell anybody. So I was still working 36 hour shifts. And then if from my point of view, now, things have gotten a little bit easier now, but I thought this was what was supposed to happen. You're supposed to be abused, almost kind of like you're joining a fraternity, and they're going to haze you. And I personally thought that when I got out of my training and I did an internship, I did a residency, I did a fellowship, so it was seven years after a medical school, I thought that I was going to have what my family doctor, who sounds like the same as your family doctor, an old guy the family practice, he delivered babies. He had his own practice, and when he walked in, he did whatever he wanted to do. And then I get to neonatology, I join a hospital, and they're saying, here's your hours, this is when you're going to sleep, and this is when you're not going to sleep. And so so there's a question in this long statement, but I just wanted to let you know, I, as you were speaking, I'm thinking about all this kind of stuff. The millennials or the people that are coming out of medical school now into residency Yesterday, I interviewed someone from Human Resource, and they said the millennials, they don't have that kind of hazing. They don't tolerate it as much as you and I do. The millennials are working a little bit less. Do you think that we're going to have less physician burnout because the millennials haven't been through that? Or you think it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and it has nothing to do with it? I would say only time will tell because there's many, many forces at work here. And let me just say, too, that the statistic I hear most frequently is that the difference between a non-work hour restricted residency and a work hour restricted residency is about one third. Meaning if you were in a work hour restricted residency compared to boomers like me who were not, you have one third less hours of experience when you come on shift in your first job. And as a matter of fact, I hear CMOs all over the country say, yeah. we actually have extended onboarding and we don't let these people see patients unsupervised when they first come on because they're not ready to join a group of mature baby boomer style doctors. They're graduated with incomplete education. They also, what you'll see, and again, we're into a generational issue here. The CMOs will also tell me these younglings they don't know how to work hard and they just don't care. <laughs> and the reason is this, okay? Imagine the waterboarding analogy that I said. Imagine you come out with a third more experience and having been waterboarded twice as much as somebody who comes out without that kind of basic abuse of your physiology and your ability to tolerate that. It's a different person. They have different loyalties. They feel different levels of guilt when they don't complete a task. And it's much easier for them to draw boundaries than us, where we would, somebody would ask us to do something and we would do it out of a feeling of obligation, or we wouldn't want somebody to think we couldn't handle it or where it's a sign of weakness. So these are fundamentally different animals. Yes, we're practicing medicine, but a work hour restricted graduate and a non work hour restricted graduate have gone through a different conditioning process. So time will tell. I mean, the other thing that 
millennials are is typically digitally native. So they don't struggle so much with EMR like us older doctors do. <laughs> yes. So there's a lot of different moving parts in here. I think it'll be really interesting. Well, the thing that I'm most distressed about is being a patient, right? So my experience of being a patient has dramatically deteriorated over time. And what's gone away is not anything to do with millennial or baby boomer. It's people's They've completely let go of the physical exam. I mean, uh, they click mm-hmm. boxes and talk to me and maybe put an automatic blood pressure cuff on my wrist. And it's like, hang on a second. Aren't you going to examine me? <laughs> and it just doesn't happen the way it used to, right? And patient experience is the hottest topic in medicine right now. And we're pushing a lot to improve that patient experience. It's an uphill battle. At the Orsini way, what I do is, you know, I have a program called It's All in the Delivery. And that's the name of my recently published book, too. And that book and this program addresses exactly what you said, is that what's missing in the patient experience right now is that one-on-one connection with your physician that you had with your family doctor and I had with my family doctor. And now we have a whole bunch of physicians who are feeling task-oriented. They have to get their work done. They're feeling maybe a little bit burnt out. The hospital is telling them they have seen more and more patients. and There's no relationship building. And we know that when a physician has a relationship with their patient, even if that relationship is short term, I mean, an emergency room visit, five minutes, that that patient's more likely to follow their medication treatment. They're more likely to follow up with their subspecialist and they have better outcomes and they're happier. And what I teach in the It's All in the Delivery is that You can form these relationships very quickly by using certain communication techniques, typical conversations, and not take that long of a period of time. And I think in the programs that we've done, and I can tell you from personally, that I go home about the same time every day, but I go home with a smile on my face because I had that human connection. And so I think you're exactly right. Pick your head up from the iPad that you're typing on or the laptop. And ask the patient something with an open-ended question. Talk about the Yankees or I guess in, in your area, Seattle. Let's talk about some baseball and we'll spend a minute doing that. And when I leave here, they'll go, wow, that was a great doctor. He's really nice. She's really nice. And I'll leave here going, I know that patient. To me, that helps me with my burnout symptoms when I'm feeling really bad because I left there just rushing around to see patients. I find that I go home a little more sad. You know, would, would you agree with that? I mean, there's, we, we crave that relationships with our patients. Right. And let me just build a case that it's actually even more connected than people realize. And when I say this, you're going to agree with me. Everybody always does, right? The number one determinant of the patient's experience is the doctor's experience. How can I ask a patient to give me a top score on their satisfaction if the doctor is going to give the organization a three out of five? And what I'll also say is all of the techniques and all the dialogue that you teach has a predecessor. And so let me teach you what I teach people in terms of how to, how to be awake in your workday. Mm-hmm. So when you look at patient satisfaction, it's all linked to one thing, the doctor's attention, the doctor's focus. And I actually have a drawing behind me here that you were asking about earlier. I have a stick figure with a stethoscope on that's in a whirlwind, (laughs) a a scribble whirlwind all around them. And my experience is this. It doesn't matter when you graduated from your training program, when a doctor or nurse or anybody who works in healthcare 
walks into their practice. They walk into the middle of a small whirlwind. Things are coming at you from all different directions. Patients only bring complaints. Your staff only bring problems, questions, decisions, responsibility, busy work, charting, all that kind of stuff. It's like being in a whirlwind. And the thing about the whirlwind is from the inside of the whirlwind, all you can see is the inside walls of the whirlwind. And most of what you see sucks. (laughs) So the question is, how do you step out of your whirlwind, set the whirlwind off to the side? It will be there when you come back. So how do you step out of that in the points where you need to? What points do you need to? Number one, when you're going to go into a room or into an encounter with a patient or a patient's family. Number two, when you're interacting with your team. Yes, that's so important. Yes. So how do you do that? And what I'll tell you is, They would have to do this in order to use your communication techniques too, because ideally they come communication techniques, phrases, things that work in terms of speaking to a patient are building on your undivided attention with that patient. And so what I teach is a simple single breath technique called a squeegee breath. So you take a big breath to the top of your head, hold it in two, three, and then exhale to your toes and hold it out, two, three. Imagine a giant squeeze. You just wiped you completely clean. Then you turn that knob and you go into the room. I think that's great advice. We talk about that all the time. Take, we joke around. We say, take a deep breath and take your own pulse. You know, calm down. Right. We already know this as a habit because what is the first step? What is the first step in an emergency? You take your own pulse. So we already know this as a mantra. It's just a question of, it doesn't have to be an emergency to center yourself, right? Yeah, so we... What I teach is a BJ Fogg technique for, for to have a trigger. So what is going to be your trigger to take a big, deep breath and recenter yourself multiple times in your day? And it's easy to find triggers in doctors because we all have lots of work habits between patients. We have in our, it's all in the delivery. Several years ago, I took a major unit and we tested the hypothesis that we can improve patient experience scores by doing absolutely nothing but training the entire staff on how to communicate, not telling them what to say but to understand how human beings connect and they communicate. And so we trained the doctors, the nurses, the chairman of the department. We trained the receptionists, et cetera. And the patient satisfaction scores went up 60% in the rankings and have stayed there for two years. And our trigger is we have to understand that even if we're really good at this and we understand this, that there's going to be a point during the day, during the week, maybe several points, and you could comment on this, where you forget about it. Okay, I'm feeling rushed. I'm feeling hurried. And so there you go, the whirlwind. And so what we teach, it's maybe offensive for a nurse to come up with me and say, Dr. Orsini, you know, that was a bad interaction that you just had with a patient. That's not going to happen. Or your head's spinning, you're in a whirlwind. So what we have as a code is everybody gives permission to positively and negatively reinforce this. And that means the receptionist can go up to the chairman of the department and say, Dr. Orsini, it's all in the delivery. And that means I can see it in your eyes. You're there, you're speaking. Yeah, I saw it. And the response that we all make, as we promise, is will always be, thank you, Nancy. I needed that. You know, I needed that because I got caught in it. And so what you're saying is just, is just amazing. So, but before we finish up, and I have a couple more questions for you. So now there's a bunch of healthcare providers out there. A bunch of physicians are going oh my God, I'm so glad I listened to this because I got the symptoms. I'm feeling burned out. (laughs) Besides going to the happymd.com, 
which is going to be a big step. What do they do to get from I'm afraid to tell anybody, I'm afraid to admit it to I have to reach out to Dr. Drummond? How do they go from that point to that point? Oh, there's a whole bunch of intermediary steps. So let's just talk about this for a second, the act of waking up. So here's what I know from inside the whirlwind. All you can see is the inside walls of the whirlwind. And all you see are the things that don't work. And when I meet somebody who's burned out, exhausted, by the way, the symptoms of burnout are exhaustion, cynical, sarcastic, venting about your patients and feeling like, what's the use? Two inner voice phrases you'll hear when you're around, when you're flirting with burnout are, number one, I'm not sure how much longer I can keep going like this. Number two, and this is a huge red flag, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get hit by a car on the way to work today and I won't have to see patients. Wow. So, So be on the lookout for those. But here's what I'll tell you. When you're stuck in this trap of all the stuff that sucks about your practice, you really know what you hate. But you know what? This is a word to live by. You can avoid everything you don't want and you still won't get what you want. Because the only way to get what you want is to decide what that is and go get it. And these are almost opposites of each other. You can figure out what you want, starting with what you don't want, but they're not the same thing. So what I try to get doctors to do is to wake up a way of looking at life that was beat out of them in their education. And that's the word satisfaction. So if you want to do the exercise with me, it's very easy. Take a big, deep breath. And let your mind and your energy just wander back through the last couple of weeks of your practice. (sighs) On a scale of zero to 10, what's your level of satisfaction with your practice? Whatever your practice is, what's your level of satisfaction over the last couple of weeks or so? Zero to 10, what's your number? The second question is, okay, what's your number? How do you feel that that's your satisfaction number with your practice? Are you okay with it or is it distressing to you? And what I find is anything less than about a six or a seven is felt as some level of distress. If you're down two, three, four, you're hurting, right? And if things don't change, your days are probably numbered in that particular position, okay? So to start with satisfaction, okay, not am I burned out, how satisfied am I? Then what I want people to do is to start, and this is a process, it takes a while to wake up because it's been asleep for a very long time, to write down on a piece of paper, my ideal practice description, and then just start to write down over the next couple of weeks, the pieces of your practice you would like to see in an ideal world. If you were the boss, if you were the king of the forest, if you had a magic wand, what are the things that you would run towards not run away from, what are the things you would run towards if they were available to you? And what you'll end up with is a list of the kind of things you have in your dream practice. This list might've come from as far back as the light workers fork in the road, where you imagined what it was like to be a doctor. And at that point, what you can do is you can actually create a Venn diagram in your head. If I know what my ideal job description is, and I imagine what that would feel like, and I know what this practice feels like, I can create a two-circle Venn diagram, compare my ideal practice to this practice. If it's a Venn diagram, how much overlap is there between those two circles right now? And it tends to correlate in percent. It tends to correlate with your satisfaction score. So if somebody says my satisfaction is a two, this overlap in the Venn diagram is going to be about 20%. It's just an association I've seen. If your satisfaction is seven, it's going to be about 70%. And then the question is, okay, if I were going to make this practice 
a better match with my ideal practice? What's one little tiny thing I could change right now? Because the reason that you burn out is because your satisfaction and your overlap is low and you have no sense that you can change it. This is that term loss of autonomy that people talk about, right? But you always have the ability to get new results if you take new actions. Einstein's insanity trap is easy to bust out of if you know what direction you're headed. And that direction, that target, that bullseye is your ideal practice description. And that is perfect advice for the conversation that you need to have with yourself because you got to get there, right? And then once you're there to say, I'm going to make some changes, then if they need help, then they can contact you. I was on your website. You have so many programs for physicians. I mean, there were so many choices for physicians who are feeling burned out or educational things. I was really very impressed. You've been at this for so long. And as I said, you are the go-to man for this. Let me say that I've never seen anybody who said their practice satisfaction was a 10. Mm -hmm. So you can approach this from two different perspectives. I need to work on this because I'm burning out. I'm a two or three or a four, right? And I'm not feeling well and I need to make a change because I'm exhausted. Or you could say, look, I'm an eight. I'd like to be a nine and a half. This is like the Olympic athletes have more than one coach. It's not (laughs) because they suck. Okay. It's because they want to be the best. So there's all sorts of different reasons to get support. Remember that burnout is not a mental illness. Depression and other things like that are complications of burnout. And they are not frequent, but they're more frequent than in the general population. And we've got all sorts of self-study and books and all sorts of things that'll help you turn this around by identifying what you really want and heading in that direction. Well, that's fantastic. I just want to say thank you. I mean, you fulfilled both my promises. And so I'm really happy. I think there are people out there that are inspired right now that they can do something if they're feeling down, if they're feeling burned out, they now know what to do. And I think you've helped them to have that conversation with themselves and how to get there. And I think it's so needed right now. We talked about the physician suicide rate. We need to make medicine a better place. We need to bring it back to where Physicians and nurses are happy to be where they are. We need to bring, I know nobody's ever set a 10, but it's a great goal, right? That's what you're here for. Let's push that every doctor says that my practice is a 10. I want to thank you so much for being on here. If anyone wants to get in touch with Dr. Drummond, please don't hesitate. He's very easy to speak to, as you can see. And the best way to contact you is through thehappymd.com. TheHappyMD.com, and there's a contact form there. Just blast me a contact request or just look at all the different self-study courses that we have there, and you're welcome to join us in any one of those experiences. And look for his podcast, Physicians on Purpose. Get ready to subscribe to that. It's coming up. I can tell you it's a blast to have one, so I highly recommend it. I love it. As a warning, it's a lot of work. There's preparation and there's audio and there's a whole thing, but it's definitely worth it. I've met some great people on a very short period of time, including you. So I want to say thank you again. Thanks for being here. If you love this podcast, you like this episode, please go ahead and hit the subscribe and download, tell your friends about it, share it on social media. If you want more information about the Orsini Way, you can reach us at theorsiniway.com. You could also email me for that. But again, go ahead and hit subscribe. We're going to be dropping a new episode every single Tuesday. I will let you know, Dyke, when this will air. It will probably be in about a month or so. Great. And you talked about that picture behind you. So when we're done and we sign off, I'm going to take a screenshot of you in that picture. And we'll go ahead and put that on social media because I think everybody's going, I really would love to see this picture. You're quite the artist there. Well, <laughs> so. and let, let, me say, let me say too, 
that this basic understanding of the difference between what you don't want and what you want, built on top of that, we have 235 different tools that can help. So there's plenty more conversation to be had here. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we'd love to have you on again. So, but in the meantime, thank you so much again. And uh, thank you for being on this podcast. I hope we'll speak soon. Thanks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment and review. To contact Dr. Orsini and his team or to suggest guests for future podcasts, visit us at theorsiniway.com.